There's a funny little moment in this one, Clay, that's when you, you see the writers and the uh, the visual effects people come to a head and uh, to try to like figure out how they want to portray something in the uh, the same way. The When um when the Les Serena is being tracked, right, and Rios is like, my God, there's a guy just outside of our sensor range that keeps tracking us. When they cut to show Narek, who's chasing them, you can mm. see both ships in the same shot. Like, yeah. You can literally I... look outside of his window and see each other. That made me yell out loud when I saw that. <laughs> because I, I mean, after years and years of of complaining about both ships always having to be in the same small television screen, that they they cut to that, and I like my that was my instant reaction was like, why is there, why can he see him? Is he like? 20 feet behind him tailing him like they're in new york or something just shitty um, sensors on on the, the the la serena i guess they don't really get into it but it's it's very goofy and very comical yeah yeah it's it's really silly but then i i did kind of calm down and i was like okay I, they do have long range sensors and stuff so i'm sure it's uh it's just a silly choice you know what annoyed me more than that actually it, it, it's kind of tangential it relates to narek though narek doing his old rubik's cube in his hand is a is a um that's like a very uh, tropey thing for yeah. an actor to do to have to like spin the puzzle in his hand like that, and I find it really mm. annoying. But I'm sure we'll have more to say about Narek and Narissa uh, Rizzo, as I like to call her sometimes too. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break. We'll play some music and then we'll come back. everybody so this episode is called nepenthe it is the seventh episode of the first season of star trek picard came out on march 5th 2020 written by samantha humphrey and michael chabin directed by douglas arianakoski in this episode picard and soji transport to the planet nepenthe home to some old and trusted friends as the rest of the la serena crew attempt to join them picard helps soji make sense of her recently unlocked memories meanwhile hugh and elnor are left on the borg cube and must face an angered Narissa. I was, was actually. Uh, I was just going to say, was anybody else upset that the old and trusted friends were not the space Irish? <laughs> or they're, they're cloners, the, the high tech cloners and the drunken space Irish. There's been a lot of Irish in this one, actually. They're just not tying together. There has been. Not yes. tying together the threads that they would. Um, I spent a long time today. This is a very off, t- off topic, but remember how I told you the Romulan's name is Rizzo? Um, sure it is but i was like why is her name narissa and it, i i spent a good 10 minutes she goes by narissa rizzo when she's pretending to be a starfleet officer so that's where that comes from they call her ensign okay. rizzo at that point and I, I was very confused but that's why I'm, I'm trying to clarify for people i couldn't understand why no one had corrected me no one had said like that's not her name why do you keep calling her that but i guess it is kind <laughs> of her name but anyway well you keep calling the other guy uh uh, uh nathan and i haven't ryan right <laughs> His name yeah, is his Ryan. name is Ryan. It's Ryan, everyone. Should we um should Sorry, we start like Ryan? Should we start talking about Nepenthe the same way we did last time, which is to talk about the absolute worst plot line that this one has going for it? Uh yes. Probably should. Should we say it on the count of three, just so that we, we know they're on they're on the same same wavelength? That I'm talking about um Everything that happens with Elnor, Hugh, and Narissa in this episode yeah. is almost embarrassing to watch, yes. really. Uh it's yes. it's really, really terrible. And, you know, people are sad about Hugh and whatever, but I, I think like on almost every level, 
how that storyline is set up doesn't make any sense to me. The fact that we leave the last episode with Hugh and Elnor ready to fight to the death, and in this mm. one, Elnor has somehow gotten away from Hugh, which, knowing his samurai ethos, doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense that he would run and leave him behind like that. Correct. Yes. And so they bring him in later, and then to the bow on the whole thing, and there's more in between this, is that when he finds that Fenris Ranger button, I have no idea where that button came from. No, no clue. Yeah, it's just, it was like just hanging off of a coat hanger it or was something. Hang, it was hanging on a desk. Is that supposed to be Hughes' button or something? Like, Picard didn't I don't know. give him one, right? Because if, if Picard gave him one, he wouldn't hang it up on the desk like that. No, I mean, unless, is that what it was? It was a Fenris Ranger tag? Yeah, when he pushes it, it says Fenris Ranger SOS. Okay, I mean... Yeah, I don't know how it would how it would have gotten there, um, unless Seven of Nine has been smoking cigarettes in a corner somewhere <laughs> the whole time. I don't know. Yeah, these are all the strange. These are all the minor uh, problems with that one, but I, I think that storyline is is know. awful I, on pretty much I every think, every level. I think all of those things are not necessarily minor problems because they. The thing that's killing me about that, not uh, aside from how the execution of it was. It seems like the only reason that Elnor got left there is so they can go back to the cube. Right, because they need someone to push the SOS button. Yeah, and the 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 teaser for the next episode sees them going back to the cube, or at least, at the very least, Seven of Nine shows up at the cube. And I, uh, I don't know. It just, it's, I have this problem that I've only started to, to recognize recently. Uh, I can't remember my parents' names, no. The, um, I... <laughs> <laughs> what they look like yeah uh i i've i've started to notice when movement in stories feels like it's it's not um fl- the, it feels like the action is not flowing forward and it's really starting to be something that stands out to me as a failing of some stories like uh I, you didn't see dr sleep right no i one of the things that bugged me about dr sleep is i won't go into a great detail but it's a really long movie and like in the middle of the movie, multiple people travel across the country and back multiple times. Right. And it just really feels like you're everything's coming to a halt. If you have to like backtrack your steps for no reason, other than the fact that the plot is requiring you to backtrack your steps. It's like, well, okay, just shift things around and make, make sure everything continues to move forward, you know? And um, so that really is standing out to me. If that's what they're doing, I'm not a huge fan of that because the Borg Cube is just such a great location to get to. Like it's got such a um, a mythic kind of uh, a support system to it, where it's like this labyrinthine thing that has, you know, for lack of a better term, minotaurs all over it. Yep, incredibly dangerous and, technology and dangerous creatures all over it. Yeah, and not only that, but it's like the physical representation of of Picard's deepest fear and um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, shame. Yeah, his regrets. You know. Yeah. And it it feels like it feels like the the action should be driving to the Borg cube, not driving to the Borg cube, leaving, remembering that you left your keys on the desk, and then going back to the Borg cube. Yeah. It's just it's just a strange choice uh, for me. That being said, 
the stuff that they do in there in this episode is just dog shit, top to bottom. It's terrible. It's it's, it's honestly terrible. Bad. My 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 the moment I I I came I I watched it uh, on the train this morning as I was going in right, and there was a scene where I had to I had to pause it right, and I had to pause it and sort of catch my breath and be like, do I want to do I want to continue with Star Trek at this point? It's mm. when it's when Narissa goes, hey. Uh, I'm in the the Shat Vast, and you're a you're a Quaker Milan. We don't fight with swords and guns. <laughs> we, we we throw down with our nunchucks and kung fu. It's like what the fuck is going on? This is awful, yeah. awful, awful, awful. You need a place to hide out. Shields up. Remember scans to Max. We've had a little trouble around here lately with the city. Best to run anti-cloaking scans to Romulans. Mm-hmm. Initiate anti-cloaking scans. Yeah, that wasn't great. Um, and it didn't even lead to a impressive fight sequence where you could be like, no. okay, they're building towards it. He punches her once and she kicks him and then they like separate. and that, Or she kills you and that's the end of it. Yeah, it, it just seemed to be an, an opportunity for her to be uh, um, deceitful because she's like, we don't fight with weapons. And then she pulls a knife on him. I don't right. Know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't set, even... Sorry, just the setup to get to that. They run away, and then they're walking through the cube, and he was like, I have to get to the queen uh, cell, because that's where, like... I, I was legitimately excited when he started talking about taking back the cube, because I yeah. thought that sounded to me like he was going to be reassimilated at some point. Like, I had been thinking. I was like, oh, man, mm-hmm. I actually predicted something correctly. That's not what happens, because incredibly awkwardly Nerissa just comes out of nowhere and says you think you can just walk freely around the cube it's like what the fuck like yes they have to walk freely enough to uh, explain what they're doing and then Nerissa can show up and kill Hugh and you know Star Trek fans have been saying that the death of Hugh is a great tragedy I think it's a tragedy in storytelling uh, structure it's just awful the way that they ended that character yeah um, his death meant nothing uh, I don't have any attachment to that character the way a lot of other people do, but I thought in this show he was really good, and even I think that it was just it was just a waste. I mean, it was he was crouching, hiding behind a cube, and she hit him with a knife in the neck. He was yeah. he, he did like nothing to to you know push anything forward. He kind of you know he he didn't crack under the pressure of seeing the XBs get killed and stuff like that. But he he just went out in such a like pathetic way really for yeah, a character who was doing pretty good on the show to that point. He didn't go out saving anybody or attempting to save anybody. He just got too curious about what was going on around that corner. Right. And he got a knife in the neck. <laughs> um, and you know, for, for, I know people have been uh, saying that I care too much about the status of the Borg cube in relationship to Starfleet. I feel like this episode brings up why that's kind of important. We're at the beginning of the episode. You've got uh, Rizzo. Now that's what I'm calling her. Yeah, Rizzo has got a yeah. She's got a gun on Hugh, and then she's shooting all these MBs, which was fine. And then at the end of that scene, she's like, "I can't kill you anyway because you're part of Starfleet." Yeah, and that we have would a treaty. Break the treaty. Yeah, which is only done so she can kill him as the plot demands later. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, my first, my question is, okay, wait, so. He's part of Starfleet. They never mention that. 
I feel like that's kind of a big deal regarding the cube. Also, she's Jat Vash, which is the most secret of secret Romulan like black ops things. Who the fuck? Why the fuck does she care if she shoots him or not? Right. Well, I mean, she doesn't care uh, who, because she kills him five minutes later. Yeah, with some stupid uh, semantics argument about why it's okay. No, it's it's, to- like, it's total it's like garbage. In the, it, it's it, like in the in the movies when uh uh when uh uh the cops try to arrest somebody who's who's who is not resisting, and then he like puts his hand on the cop and they like punch him in the face and they're like, I think he was resisting. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was that kind of thing. It was just it was just terrible, and I also don't know why. Uh, unless it was just to kill time to get Narek onto a ship, why do they even need to to interrogate Hugh if he's just going to chase down Picard's friends? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess you got to cover all your bases, but just trying to trying to know. double up on your information, I guess, or get the get it sooner rather than later. Maybe it would be. I her guess point maybe of view. it's a maybe it's a, f- a further thing of like, well, Rizzo is more of a smash and. Uh, you know she's she's more violent in her means than Narek is yes but i don't know it just it just it just didn't work for me it's are these are these romulan brother and sister maybe one of the worst star trek villains we've ever had to this they're point they're pretty bad they're pretty yeah. awful they're they're i would take i would take uh if uh if nero showed up and took took rizzo's <laughs> place right now i'd be pretty happy <laughs> <laughs> it's an upgrade to go from that to just bland hi hugh i'm nero because even even Narek in this, like if if you thought that he was going through some sort of like regretful, uh, you know, following the motif of the series and going through like regretful uh, reconciliation of his actions toward um, Soji or something, mm-hmm. he's totally gung ho. He's got his face locked in. He's twirling his puzzle in his hand. He's got he's like totally locked on the prize. There's no there's no sense that he has changed anything in this, you know, there's no sense that he has any kind of regrets or anything. So it's, it's very strange. And they're really, they're really just awful. Like I don't mind the Narek performance. And well, I think that the Rizzo Narissa performance is fine in a certain kind of show. She doesn't really fit here because she's just a extremely broad, evil character. Yeah. You know, it's, there's not like, Imagine if there was some kind of understanding about what we knew about what these Romulans were doing to try to prevent something so that you had a little bit of empathy for her in that position. You'd be like, tell me where the fuck Picard is going because I need to stop this. But you don't have any of that. So all you have is just her being incredibly cruel and shitty and murderous to people. And it's it's not satisfying. Yeah. I mean, like, imagine if if in interrogating Hugh... She actually laid out why she was doing what she's doing and then put the onus on Hugh to make a decision about whether or not he was going to tell her and or not tell her. You know, like where, where like you're saying, whatever her reasoning is somewhat convincing and somewhat sympathetic. So then it's on Hugh to be like, well, I, I, I mean, I don't know what you're making a pretty good case. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you. All right, I'm going to kill your friends. You know, like right. it's just, you know, yeah. you know, the, the word I'm looking for here. Is drama <laughs> in your How television of you. television drama uh, that is is drama being um, what happens when you put characters of of opposing ideologies into head to head and have them you know battle it out ideologically or physically and it's yeah. just this is like bad James Bond stuff. 
Should we jump into what I really liked about this episode then? And then we can fall to the middle. I think um, I think this episode validates what we were saying, that the first couple episodes of the show should have had old cast members on it. Mm-hmm. Because I think everything that's on Nepenthe is either good or extremely good in some yes. ways. Um, I... I absolutely adore Jonathan Frakes as Riker, quite frankly. Oh like I've I've always said I, that Riker is underrated on TNG. He's probably my third favorite character from TNG, but he's he's settled back into this character in a way that I don't think really anyone else has. Yeah. And he he feels like a complete evolution while also still being the same character and totally comfortable playing that character again. Yeah. I when he when when Picard comes in and he's like, Oh no, you're in trouble. And then he he calls up the shields yeah. on his house. I got chills. <laughs> it's, because it's funny and good at the same time. It was yeah. funny and it was good. And his line delivery, it was like he hadn't missed a beat. It was so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was so good. And also, the reason that this episode probably gets much higher marks than it deserves, uh, you know, due to the, the shitty stuff happening on the board cube. Yeah, the averaging out, do you think, is lower than... Uh, yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, the reason that this gets higher marks is in like three scenes in this one episode, they have given us the best version of Diana, Deanna Troy that's ever been on screen. Yeah. <laughs> the it's scene, true. It's like, true. It was like the people who wrote it actually understood what she is supposed to do in her role on the show and wrote her to that um, uh, uh, effect. And it was great. She did some she counseling great. without l- relying on... Uh, empath- her powers basically. Yeah, yeah. She did a little. She had a little bit of that stuff going, but she just was there uh, to to in a counseling role. And I mean, the scene in in the the son's room. Well, I thought that scene was fantastic. She's great. She's great in that. I don't know if her um her husband of a very long time recently passed away. I don't know if it was right That's before right. filming this or not. Um, but she yes. she's great in that scene where she goes in yeah, and really it has tears. Has the whole um. The whole story about like she she wants Picard she wants to protect Picard but she can't doesn't want him to stay because she can't risk losing her daughter at that point and that she's grown uh, she's not as brave as she used to be and Picard has a great line about maybe you're a little bit wiser at this point mm, this is yeah. definitely a um I know television writing is more uh, problematic or it's tougher to parse out than this but the the Chabon scripts with his name are definitely a step up in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, because they do focus on little moments like that. He does have good ideas and lines like absolute candor and uh, this idea of like growing, uh, being less brave, but being more wise and stuff like that. He he's he certainly has the scripts that are more willing to go into these kinds of areas, even if they are also stuck to the board cube in a lot of ways. But his, his scenes with Troy and everything was really excellent. And I agree that... um. Riker just yelling out his old lines about like red alert, so like shields up or whatever, really yeah. feels um, perfect. And I, I just think this episode was important because I think retroactively you can go back, and this is an episode that pe- some people are going to say this is what it was all leading to. Basically, like the reason you can't judge the early episodes is because you need the information to come out in the seventh out of ten episodes, basically. And I I disagree with that. Because mm, I think I think that the plotting here was just done wrong. Because you need to have these Riker and Troy scenes where they're explaining to Picard that he's acting inappropriately early in the series run. 
so that when Picard continues on this path, you kind of have a sense of what's going on. Here they use it as him sort of, Picard is recognizing what he's been doing. But for us who have been traveling with him for seven episodes, we need to know that he why he is doing the things that he's doing, which is, as Riker says, is because he's too arrogant at this point and he can't stand to be sort of left behind and he needs to be telling people what to do and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I just think it was a missed opportunity to really establish the Picard character early by using older characters. And instead, what happened is that we got stuck with this other crew for a while and Riker has a line in this one where he's like, so how's your other crew? And I was almost taken out of it going like, oh, right. Like, are they even a crew? Right. <laughs> really? Like, is Picard's group even considered a crew in any sense of the word? Because they have no group identity or group dynamic between any of them. And it, it feels like it was kind of a waste of seven episodes to get to that point. Well, I, I, I disagree with you a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but before I get to why, uh, that scene in particular stood out to me because I, w- I, I felt like... Um, it was a bit of a failing of of writing these characters and and giving us stuff to to really grasp onto, because when R- Riker's like, "How's your other crew?" and Picard's just like, "Meh, eh, they love they like drama," and then like they just they kind of don't talk about him again. My first instinct was, well, Riker must know who Rafi is mm-hmm. and must know that her relationship to Picard, so. You would think that that would be a great opportunity for Picard to be like, well, you know, it's this guy and, you know, Rafi's with me. And then Riker would be like, Rafi? Really? And then get into that a little bit so you could get a little bit of what's going on with her. Yeah. Because as of now, I don't think there's anything going on with her. Like, they have not done any good work with her. Well, you know what's shocking to me about Rafi? And it ties into how badly written I think that the other crew members have been. I didn't realize that last episode she got sober. That was, you know what I mean? I didn't realize that she had a turning point last episode. Uh, I, I don't believe that is a thing. I, okay, so. You don't believe I, that she's sober? Or you don't believe that the. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that she was an alcoholic to the point of like, now she's turned a corner and she's sober again. But did did, the, did you did you realize that that was a plot beat from last episode? Like I I was not even aware when I. Are you sure that's what what what, what they were going for? It must have been because she's still she, smoking. She's still smoking weed. She smokes in this episode. Yeah, she smokes when she gets the cake for Gerardi. Uh, oh, does she? I don't remember because yeah. she's she's noticeably not drinking in this one and then i thought back and it's because after after that bizarre scene in the last episode where picard applauds her as she stumbles off and like prepares to die of alcohol poisoning mm-hmm. her and rios have a scene and she orders coffee at that point and i think that's supposed to be her getting over her son and sobering up at that point but my 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 point basically is that it didn't strike me that way because it didn't feel like she went through anything to sober no. up. And so when she's so totally sober here and very helpful, I had to look back and go, was that her entire arc? Was, was that what Raffi's story was supposed to be? That's very strange. Yeah, I mean, it's not like she's... They don't present her from from minute one as being an alcoholic. She just had a couple days where she got shit-faced because her son threw out the window. Okay. So you think you know, she's, she's, she's still smoking, so that's good enough for you. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. like the, the opening... The first scene where we see her in the show, she's actually drinking water. 
Mm-hmm. And and then she, you know, she grabs the bottle from Picard when she gets mad. But it's like it, they don't really play it as though she has like a drinking problem. Okay. Until that's that thing. It's not like she goes to see her son and she's already drunk. Right. I just I just took that whole thing as, yeah, she was in a bad place. So she got drunk for a couple of days and now she's coming out of it. I didn't I don't think it's like a, you know, she's still smoking. I don't think it's like she's turning her life around or anything. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think. Um, uh, well, I'll I'll just say this, and then you sure. can answer what you think about the crew. I, I I think that fundamentally, the problem with the show, to a very very large extent, is that in the in the first seven episodes, I don't think they did a very good job of establishing the new characters, and I think that correct, it, yes. it's potentially a crutch to bring in people like Riker and Troy, and I will say that I'm potentially rose-tinted glasses of nostalgia here are just like, well, clearly these people are better because I'm familiar with them. I think it's more than that, though. I think that you can actually say that having those characters and the relationships that they are exposed to does give you a sort of ground-level understanding of where Picard is in a way that the new people don't whatsoever. And I think Soji is probably the biggest problem in this regard because... Soji took a very long time to get to this point. And in this episode, she's like, everyone tried to screw me over. Like, I'm not real. What does it all mean? And nothing she did leading you up to that point feels like this is any kind of earned narrative device that they're getting to here. Like, I feel you don't know Soji whatsoever. So when she comes to this conflict of crisis of identity, it's totally detached from anything. Yeah, I, I maintain the thing I said in the last episode, which is she has no character. You know, like I said, tell me, tell me one thing about her character aside from what she looks like and what she does for a job. Yeah. Well, now That's, she yeah. has an existential crisis. That's her sure. character. Yeah, yeah. Now she does. Yeah. Um, but to jump back a little bit, I, I, I disagree about the placement of Riker and Troy because, in theory, they are placed in exactly the right place. Yes, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the 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 part that they should be playing is essentially where we were at seven episodes so we got th- three episodes left and the last two are uh, a two-parter so they're they are uh probably it's probably two real episodes if you want to look at it that way sure um and the part that they should be playing is we should be at the part in the story where picard is essentially bottoming out in his uh you know things are going wrong uh, he's at his lowest point, and that's when he meets Riker and Troy, who kind of give recenter him and give him what he needs to go to come back up on the upswing and finish the mission. Yeah, because he sees through their struggle over the past fifteen years that his his perspective is reestablished for himself. Exactly. Yes. Yep. The problem, though, is that they do so little setting up what exactly the struggle is and what exactly his struggle is that they don't serve that function because I don't even really know where in the story, character-wise, Picard is supposed to be. Right. There's there's a, a point which I, I can't believe that he actually said this, which is uh, uh, when he's talking to Riker and he's like, um, uh, I, I had somewhere to go. I had a plan, but my plan turned out to be half a plan at best. And yes. It's like, yeah. Like when he said I had a plan, my first thought was, what was the plan? <laughs> You don't. You didn't know where she was until you didn't know where anything was until two episodes ago. Yeah, you just yeah. got on a ship and flew into space. There was no plan. No, you know? I, and it's yeah, it's yeah. 
it's that sort of structuring where the first like six episodes or so are are fairly aimless. Um, or I should say the first three are, are whatever. Once they get into space, there's no real plan there. It's just kind of like happenstance. Uh, the Red Letter Media guys, are, who are very hard on the show, actually brought up something really funny that I didn't even catch, which was uh, um, the the episode where they meet Elnor. Uh, they said, yeah, Picard's on this mission to try and save Soji from Romulans who are probably actively trying to kill her, but he's like, you know what? She's probably already dead. Can we stop off at this place real quick? <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of thing yeah. where it's like, I don't know. Like, I understand in like a large concept view of like what the, the, the story is, which is Picard has to get here. But that's something that the writers know that Picard himself doesn't know until he's manufactured into knowing this stuff like it's just it doesn't it doesn't feel natural yeah um the, the structure doesn't feel natural it doesn't feel uh right it feels very forced see i and oh go ahead well I, we've we've talked before about like preferring discovery or picard over one or the other i would say that one of the things in picard's favor over discovery is that from a very very macro sense. I think Picard's story makes uh, sense to me. Like if, sure, if you're if you're sure. at a very high level looking down, I can understand every sort of thing that's going on in this story in a way that Discovery felt much more uh, patchwork. If you're looking at it, you're going like, well, why are they going here? Like that feels very random that they're going to do this, and they're going to go there, and then they're going to do this. Picard has a, a better arc to it. It's just the fact that the story almost started at the climax kind of like you you missed out on a large chunk of stuff that was important before and then no one in the first couple episodes really reestablished the stakes for you so mm-hmm. you felt like you were coming in in the middle of something and Picard's journey is a large part of that where he just kind of goes off and he never has good scenes with characters where anyone says why are you doing this like what's going on right and right. So when you get to this point in the seventh episode where he should be reestablishing himself and dealing with it, it instead, as you say, comes across as Riker and Troy then explain his story to us, right, which is right. not their function at this point. And it's not exactly what they do, and it's not 100% of what they do, but a large part of it, for me, was clarifying why Picard was doing all the stuff that he was doing. Yeah, they, there was a moment um, when they were talking, when he was talking to Riker and Troy where I had that feeling that I get on Discovery, where I say, I think you could watch this episode seven episodes in and not have watched anything else before it and understand what's going on because they take they actually are just explaining what the story is right. in a way that none of the other episodes have done. It's like a bunch of stuff that happens and then, oh, all of a sudden, oh, okay, that's what's going on. That's what this story is supposed to be about. It's just not something that they they do early enough to make that uh, feel like it's a through line. Yeah, and it's 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 too bad because I I genuinely really enjoy. Great, what's sorry? That? I was just gonna say a great example of that is when Soji explains to uh, uh, what's the the, Kest- the kid's name Kestra. It's uh, she's named after her dead Deanna's dead sister. I think it's Kestra. Kestra. Yeah, Kestra. Um, where Soji is explaining to Kestra her relationship with Narek. Which is like, I feel like that's how it was supposed to be, and that's how it was written on the board, and that sounds great, but that's not what they showed us. Right. No, exactly. She, The the relationship that we saw between Soji and Narek does not, in my mind, 
allow for Soji to have the reaction that she's having with him. You know, it, the, mm. their relationship to me seems like they were just kind of like fuck buddies, basically. Like, they, there was no relationship between the two of them, really. Right. It, it felt like they were co-workers who occasionally slept together or something. Uh, they went shoeless ice skating they did go, once. They, which, is, which is how I met my wife. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Universal, it's the universal symbol for falling in love. But that's the problem for me is that like so... Like that scene in Rocky where they go shoeless ice skating. <laughs> if, if those two had really built up this like really funny or like really charming relationship with each other, and then he betrayed her, I can see the anger here. But yeah. it, to me, it just feels like Soji was supposed to get angry by this point. However, the setup to get us there wasn't good enough so that when she starts talking about it, you kind of go like, she kind of sounds almost naive in a way. And I don't think oh, that's super, supposed to be yeah. the intention. Well, I mean, she is only three years old. That's so. true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which in retrospect makes that relationship very questionable. I did. Um, I did want to focus a little. I love the uh, the actress who plays Kestra. is fantastic. Yeah, she was great. She, she was really good. She's yeah. a really good uh, young actress. Um, she did a good job of getting everyone out of the shell. I like the fact that they gave that character uh, the job of explaining the relationship backstory to Soji, which which is a great way of not having Riker come over and say exactly how he knows Picard and everything like mm. that. But it also mm. gives it kind of this. Uh, mystical, mythological air because a girl who is not there is just telling a secondhand story to another person about it. Right, right. And so that, I really liked that. I thought that that was a good idea. She's an excellent, excellent actress. I like the name Kestra. It's a whole callback to the uh, Deanna Troy's sister dying in that episode of TNG, Dark Page. Um, and I just did want to focus. I really did like the Riker Troy Nepenthe Picard scenes. I thought they're mm. really good. I think that it's important to have those scenes i think that all the actors are really good they all settled back into what they were supposed to be it recalibrated what we're supposed to expect from picard i think frakes is like such an underrated actor in this franchise i think he's he's really good and i know he always puts himself down but just the way that he fell right back into it um was really nice and really relaxing and even i thought they even did a good job of um explaining why they're on this weird planet instead of beta z or alaska yeah yeah, I uh, you know, I I I thought the story about their their son who had died was legitimately heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, um and maybe chalk that up to just the acting and the, the way that they that Marina Sirtis especially played those scenes. I but I thought it was great. This might be um this might be difficult for you cuz you're not super familiar with 7, but I I thought that there was a, a problem that we've had with the show has been like what have the characters been doing for 15 years? Mm-hmm. And, and the show has to catch you up. So what I thought was interesting was that uh, Riker and Troy's story to me felt totally organic as to what these two characters could have been up to for 15 yeah. years, right? And yeah. I was contrasting it with Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine, I was thinking about it like, if, if, if we stop podcasting and 10 years pass, right, and then we get in touch and I'm like, Clay, what have you been up to? And you say that, you know, you got married, you had a kid, and the kid got sick. I'd be like, wow, that's a believable story, right? If you took the mm-hmm. seven of nine thing and 10 years from now, I'm like, Clay, what have you been up to? And you told me you became an astronaut. <laughs> I'd, I'd basically be like, that doesn't seem believable that that would happen. You, and that's how I feel about seven becoming like this Jedi Ranger character. It, it just feels like it's an unbelievable turn of events for this character over 15 years. 
You wouldn't believe that I uh, joined the CIA and have been running black ops missions. <laughs> right. <laughs> people are stealing uh, body parts from you and stuff like that. Yeah. But I thought it was just a, it was a good example of setting up your characters in a later series in a believable way where not that much has changed, but at the same time, a lot has changed for them, but you can still grab onto what has changed for those characters. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's 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 a question of of making the the things relatable to the characters, you know, that that you know. Like if if 7 <clears throat> if 7 had been had been had spent the last 14 years as someone who was like actively working against the Borg reclamation thing or something, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Where it was something was like, "Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense." So like picture the Maquis but Borg specific. Yes. You know? Yep. Like that's that's believable. Is instead of coming up with like the Fenris Rangers, which we don't know what that is because they just made it up for the show. She keeps her it, money on this planet, and she's got a lesbian relationship with this person, and it's like it's just too yeah. much information almost. Yeah, it's just it's not. It doesn't feel uh, natural, like you're saying. Yeah. Um. Yes, but the Riker and Troy stuff is excellent, and yes, I don't even. It briefly took me out of it when they attempted to tie together the Riker grief with the synth storyline, which is that he died because no androids were around for some reason. Um, yeah, that was, you know, I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty clumsy. Was, yeah, I thought it was yeah, pretty clumsy. It's, it is pretty clumsy, but it is, I don't know, at least it is on theme, I guess. And, you know, it, it's a stem it, cell. It it's a stem cell analog. Like you're, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, more okay with that than I am uh, seven of nine going down to this casino planet to kill the lady. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's involved with the boar. I don't know. No, I I didn't like that episode. I'd I'd agree. I really like that. The kid's story. I like the, um, I like the metaphor that's set up very nicely about she has the broken compass, which is a metaphor for finding your way through life, basically. Mm-hmm. And she gives it to mm-hmm. Soji at the end, and it's just like it doesn't work. But you just it's, you have to know that you're on you're looking for something. It's like your your sort of life uh, drive or your life goal, and the compass represents that. And the kid's story about making up languages is suitably charming. It's kind of heartbreaking that they di- uh, he died. They tried to bring him to this planet so that he would get better. Uh, they have that really heartbreaking line about. Um, Kestra is basically forgetting about her her uh, dead baby brother mm-hmm. every day. Like she's moving the, the the ache in Kestra goes away a little bit more every day. Mm. And Picard says that must be like brutal for you, Deanna. And it, and she starts to get all weepy eyed. But it is a pretty um, that's a very sad idea, honestly. Like I was yeah. I was just thinking about it with my own kids. Like if one of them died, the other one would grow up at an age where he would eventually not really remember him. And right, right. Th- it's just very sad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's honestly an idea that I haven't really I, uh, heard kind of expressed before um, in anything really. It's, yeah. it is a, it is a fairly, you know, it's usually, they usually do that through the, the eyes of the person um, most affected by the tragedy where it's like, oh, my wife died 20 years ago and I, I can't, in the, in the big dramatic monologue, he's like, I, you know, I can't even remember what her face looks like anymore. Right. You know, that yeah. thing. The sad thing but, is that I can't remember her anymore, really. Yeah. 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 But they've, I've never really seen them tackle that where it's the, the mother is like, no, I remember everything. And it's just this other person who's forgetting. And yeah. that's even harder to deal with. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is good. 
I uh, do the, have questions about other stuff. Sure. Do, do you want to? Are they Agnes related, or should we get that I, plot line? Well, out of the I way? had one, well, one Soji thing that I thought was a little clumped. Well, first of all, we didn't even mention uh, she nailed the data head tick. She did. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure that they were going to bring attention to it, but I, I actually really, really liked that. <laughs> Based on that one thing, Riker figured the he whole put, thing. Put, out. He puts all together. <laughs> I really like that. Um, also, Picard needs to work on his bedside manner a little bit because when they got to Nepenthe and Kester's like, who is this person? And he's like, do you know Commander Data, the robot? It's her. It's his daughter. And she's like, what? <laughs> they, kind of, they kind of call attention to that because uh, Troy is like, you need to stop being a jerk to her, which I... Again, that's, I assume this is what you're going to say. That's not like a character thing they've been exploring. Right. Or it it just, if it is a character thing, I don't understand why Picard is like that at this point, because he right. was never like that previously. So if, you, if you're saying it's like a dementia or getting old, maybe not dementia, but if you're, it's like a getting older thing, I just don't, I, I don't feel that they're getting the point across as to why Picard is so oblivious to this girl's feelings very effectively. Right. Especially when he was so... He was so um, reserved. Well, not reserved, but he was so caring and so gentle with with Dodge. Mm, yeah, sure. That yeah. he's not really treating Soji the same way, and it is kind of strange. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was that it's uh, um, when Soji is talking to Kestra about her dreams and stuff, and she mentions she explains the thing about the home world and whatnot. Um, and Kester's like, so he implanted a memory? And she's like, yeah. My first thought was, why did Bruce Maddox decide to implant a Reality? fucked up, a <laughs> fucked up <laughs> mannequin dream? Well, why did, he, why did he model it on where he was really hiding at the same time? Yeah, I don't know. Unless, uh, Unless the, it's the homing beacon? That's how she's supposed to get back? I don't know. I, maybe Maddox, the Maddox who was killed, was a life model decoy, and the <laughs> actual Maddox is still on the planet. I don't know. But it was just—it seemed strange to me where it was like, she's like, "Yeah, he implanted this memory in my head of this X, Y, and Z," and I'm like, "Why? Why would you go out of your way to implant a nightmare about seeing yourself in pieces on a desk?" Yeah, it, it must be. That must be the. It must be the puzzle that's supposed to lead her back home. I would assume. Um, yeah, or maybe it's just, I don't know. It, Android's or, dreaming is a very new concept, I suppose. So yes. maybe it's, you know. Yeah, they did have that TNG episode that focused on it, but that those were a little little less surreal because of the lower budget. It was basically Data with like a bird on his shoulder. So, so you know, what's interesting to me about that, it, why, why say that it was, oh, I guess she was never a kid, but I was going to say, why say that it was an implanted memory and why not it? just be like an actual memory where she walked in and saw Dodge on the table in pieces. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, it's just the the way that, you know, he tried to erase it, but there's a ghost of them. Some shit like that. Yeah. Ghost in the machine. You know what I mean? Instead of, yeah. Um, That might happen. I I would not be surprised if the dream does turn out to be real or something. It's not an implant or they, they could go either way with that. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, Bringing up Maddox brings us to the uh, the middling storyline, I think here, which is Agnes and everything that happens on La Serena. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you feel? What'd you think about this? Sort of, it's kind of a storyline, but it's basically a getting to the fireworks factory and then someone goes into a coma. Yeah, uh, I thought it was okay. Again, 
I feel like Allison Pill is doing all the heavy lifting for the scenes that she's in. Uh, I thought she was really good, if not a little bit over the top in some Char- places. Character kind of annoys me. She I, she does remind yeah. me of Tilly, and it's like it, it's tough when when you say like these kind of characters annoy you because then someone will just be like, oh, clearly you don't like the the woman characters like this. But I I feel that those characters are too similar to each other. Like they're you know I I've I've heard multiple people say that, and I don't really know if I agree because I. I, I can see why you would go there, but I mean, Agnes at least has like deep trauma she's dealing with, whereas Tilly is generally kind of happy and bubbly all the time. Yes, even when she's even when she's got stuff she's dealing with, it's 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 over pretty quick. Um, I think it's just the nervous energy of never being sure, sure, sure about something. It's just it sticks out as a um in a franchise that's generally filled with very competent, capable people, except for like Reginald mm. Barkley, who's like an extreme outsider. It, right. It's just, it's a little bit strange to have this sort of military, and Agnes uh, fares a little bit better here, to have like this military organization where one of them is such a nervous Nelly about everything. It's a very, it's a very modern thing where it's like, you've got this group full of superheroes and there's one person who's not that. So they're the one who's like the audience avatar or something yes, who can be like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So every time you stub your toe, you turn into a giant green monster, mm-hmm. like you know, that kind of thing. But we did get in, we got insight into uh, the meeting. We do know that Agnes Girardi is now a mole who was sent by Commodore O because right. she mind melded with her and showed her an incredibly violent mind meld image that causes Can, her to throw up every time she eats something. Which man, she did a lot of puking. In she this, she in this has episode. a lot of puking. <laughs> And I'm glad um, they mentioned. I'm glad that they they felt the need to explain that it was red velvet cake because I, I yes. did think that was blood when she started yeah, throwing no. up that time. Uh, so can can Romulan's mind meld? I would assume so. Yeah. So I, I guess is I guess O is a is she is she a Romulan? Is that what we can assume? Do we have information that she is a Romulan at this point? They have not said it in the show. They have not the said only, it in the show. The only we, thing. That's that. Uh, uh, we Picard thought she was a Romulan, a, right? Right. Okay. Picard yeah. referred to her, her as a Vulcan. As a Vulcan, which is um, what the stuff on her table said that she was as well. Right. Yeah. But the uh, the glasses thing had everybody think that maybe she was. A, I mean, I thought she was a Romulan. Okay. Um, and the glasses thing seems to be the thing people keep citing as why she's a Romulan, not a Vulcan, because of the light and whatnot. But, I'm going to uh, continue thinking she's a Vulcan, I think, for my own sanity okay. at this point. That makes sense with the mind meld and everything. I think that that works for me. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter what she is down the line, mm. because she's doing the exact same um, actions, so it doesn't really bother me. But here she just exposes Agnes Gerati to this... Uh, Horrible mind melds, and then Agnes is immediately gung ho for she has to stop this from happening. They have an incredibly weird scene where O's like, "No, you have to chew it." <laughs> so yeah, I- <laughs> what was that shit? It reminded me of I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but do you remember that ridiculous? Oh fuck! In Discovery, it was like a ridiculous tracking device, or something. was it like a blood based tracking device? No, didn't they do the um the paint on the face with some kind of trans? Porter or something? Yeah, something like that. It was something ridiculous where it was, yeah, the the, the war paint that they put on was secretly... Uh, what was oh, it? Oh, it was a recorder, I a think. Rec- was that what it was? <laughs> it might have it, been the a recorder. War paint, the war paint was <laughs> secretly a recording device. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but it was something dumb like that. And it reminded me of that where it's like, here, chew this uh, breath mint and 
you will now be a homing device somehow. Yeah, why, why did you have to chew it? It was just it was very strange. Know. Yeah, and so the rest of the the rest of that plot line is just Agnes getting more and more nervous. Rios coming dangerously close to figuring out what's going on, but getting the wrong person in his sights. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's good. That's fine. It, it makes he actually makes a good. It, it justifies her trip where she leaves the ship actually pretty well because it causes Rios to uh, be suspicious of her. Rafi, you mean? Rafi leaving the ship. Yeah. 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 And uh, other than that, it was. Um, other than that, I thought it was fine. It was mostly like a time killer. Uh, to cut between the other two things and to just sort of show where those characters are off to. And then she puts herself in the coma at the very end and mm-hmm. doesn't kill herself. I don't know if she was trying to kill herself, but I, I, I don't really have many thoughts about that one. I just wanted to touch on it because I, I, I did think it was kind of a placeholder plot that was just filling the gaps between the other two. And it did. It, it's fine for what it is. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm interested to see the scenes with Picard and her in the next episode. Just because I, uh, I'm not totally sure what her motivations are at the moment, which is probably by design, which is fine. Um, Do you think it's a good design? Isn't that well, the, sto- the story of the series that we would know if things would be better if we knew yeah, what she was up true. to? Yeah, it's I. It's one of those things where it's like I don't know if, like if if she's if she's injecting herself with that stuff in order to neutralize the tracking device. Does that mean that she has now changed her mind about stuff? Mm. In which case, I'm going to feel even worse because I just killed my ex-lover mentor <laughs> for this thing. And now I'm like, eh, we probably shouldn't be followed. I may as well kill myself. Well, do uh, you, But I, I don't know. It'll, we'll see how it goes. Do you think that the mind meld is a memory of the past or is it a prediction of the future? Oh, geez. Uh, can the Vulcans, can they do that? Can I would, they, I would have, have to think it would have powers? to be a memory that she lived through, unless... I would think so, yeah. There is some kind of theory going around that the Vulcans and Romulans are synthetic. All of them? Yes, which would be devastating if that is turns out to be the case, but... Oh, that's, that's... I, I, I can't believe that. That would be... I'm just thinking about what these mind melt scenes are. The yeah. mind melt scenes scenes seem to be people who looked like Vulcans sort of exploding like they were robots. Yeah. I I can't imagine. I I know. I I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I, if that I if if someone pitched that in the room, I would hope there would someone be like someone in there who would be like, "You know, this is going to alienate 90% of the audience yeah, of this you're, entire you're, franchise." You're, you're fired. Go clean yeah. out your desk, please. Like, I, I mean, for a second, for a second maybe I could be like, "Oh, that's a, no, we shouldn't do that. Absolutely not." Um, no, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't I assume it has something to do with that prophecy, right? Yes, I, I would assume so. Yeah. But yeah, does the I don't know. Do you like we're getting kind of close to the end. I think there's still time to tie up all that stuff and to give us a satisfactory answer, or at least an answer that's like considered satisfactory and that it concludes everything. Um, but they'll certainly have to get those gears in motion with the next episode, I think. Yeah. If they go back to that board cube and those green things don't get set off, I'm going to be so upset. What's the, what's the, what's the, if that doesn't happen, that's actually the most upsetting thing that I can think of that would, ha- that would not happen. Is there anything yeah. that you're, look, anything that you expect to happen that you'd be kind of devastated if it never did? I think it's that. I was going to say, what's the opposite of a Chekhov's gun? <laughs> like if you leave, if you leave a gun in the middle of a room during a really tense argument and no one even acknowledges it, right. is yeah, that the opposite of a Chekhov's gun? <laughs> um, I, uh, on top of that, 
I'm going to be upset if Starfleet doesn't show up in some capacity. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I'm not even. I'm not really talking story. I just want to see it. Yeah, I want to see. I've been dying to see what the modern ships look like. Uh, you know what they did funny in this episode? The uh, the Serena is caught in a tractor beam, and they don't show the exterior of the cube shooting it with the tractor beam. Which oh, is that's right. Which is yeah. standard. You always show that stuff. Yeah. I, I missed it. Yeah, <laughs> I miss it. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm curious. To, and also, I mean, even from a story point, I feel like. With Commodore O involved, and if the cube is under Starfleet something, which is still unclear. They have a treaty. Uh, ass- they can go visit yeah, the cube yeah, when they want some to. Some yeah. sort of treaty. I don't, yeah, whatever. Um, I would assume that some sort of Starfleet presence would be required. Uh, I'm also going to be upset if um, – well, I'm already upset at Elnor as a character. Yeah. He had, he had a like lot of potential. Place. Yeah, yeah, he's. I like Elnor because I like the concept of what that group is. Really, all the way back to mm. the um, absolute candor when we talked about them being sort of like an interesting take on the Romulans and the total opposite of the Vulcans because they're all about open emotion. But he's um. He's either served as comic relief in the sense that he's like a data character who doesn't understand modern sayings and things like that. Or he's just the samurai who kills people, and I feel that there's more to that character that than than is being used, and he's he's kind of a letdown in some ways. He, I think he has the highest potential out of all the cast members or the crew members that Picard has, but they don't really use him in any kind of exciting way. Yeah, I kind of almost wish that they had explained that he's not very good at his job mm. because you know how <laughs> did you ever watch the Tick? Uh, which the cartoon? <laughs> the cartoon? Yeah, the, the tick. cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Remember how the Tick would just like move from uh mission isn't the right word but like cause to cause and become a champion of like the stupidest shit yep and everyone was like yeah the tick's kind of an idiot that's kind of what how elnor is where he's like you you dropped a grape underneath the stove lost cause (laughs) and then he like cuts the stove in half in order to get your grape back right it seems like he jumps his his motivations are very i don't know he's very all over the place yeah, he he's looking for a cause. He he is just looking for a cause to tie himself to. And you'd yeah, it, you'd yeah. You, I mean the 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 way that that's best kind of represented is that you'd imagine that he is bound to Picard until he dies almost. But he he willingly kind of stays behind and think like he stays behind on the cube. Then he attaches himself to Hugh and things. It it just. It feels like if you were trying to give that character a very satisfying narrative arc, he would be attached to Picard until the moment when the cause is over for him. Right. Um, but it, it, he doesn't He doesn't really work out that way. Yeah, he just ends up, I mean, they, they just end up using him as a plot mechanic. Yeah. I wouldn't even say he's a plot mechanic. He's a, he's a plot ball bearing. <laughs> he tried to save Hugh. He could not do it. He did some kung fu. Let's, oh, um, that Hugh stuff was so depressing. Let's take a break. We'll play an audio clip, and then we'll come back, and we'll give our final thoughts about Nepenthe. Thank you, Will. What for? Oh, for so many things. But today, for not trying to talk me out of all this, believe me, I know better. That, my friend, is always a losing proposition. 
All right, everybody. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, you can support us at patreon.com slash the Penske file. That's patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff. We're going to be talking about a sci-fi movie and a TNG revisit this month. You can only get those at patreon.com. And I think uh, we give our Captain Tier shout out at this point. All of the Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Jacob123, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Jeff, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Ellis, Samuel Custer, Grim Santos, Sean, Stefan Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Hiles, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. And now we're going to go to our final thoughts about this one, Clay. I, where does this one kind of rank for you on the Discord? We have a Discord server, uh, and I came in saying it was the best episode of the season. I I think this has the highest highs of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolute Candor might be a slightly better overall episode, but I, I think this is either one or two for me so far. Would you go that high, or did you think it was worse than that? Yeah, I would say I would say it's um, as a whole probably not as good. Well, ugh, I, I agree. It's like the good stuff in this might actually outweigh the entirety of Absolute Candor. <laughs> right. Abs- I, okay, because I, I I feel though I am saying that as someone who just loves seeing Riker and Troy and what they did with Riker and Troy. If I'm being more objective about it, I you know hate to use that word. Um, I would say Absolute Candor is probably a a, a better constructed episode mm-hmm. as far as like, I'm going to tell you a story, here it is. Um, but yeah, th- it's like Absolute Candor is like a solid three, but this one swings from like a four, almost a five to like a one. Yeah, yeah. And everything in between. I'd agree with that, I think. Yeah, it's um, it certainly has highs and lows and... I think the other thing, if the series doesn't get back to it, um, I mean, there's the Borg, there's the Vulcans and the Romulans and and all that stuff. I I don't know. Like, I, I just think that, I think that this episode firmly established what the theme of the series, I, I, would you agree that the theme of the series is basically regret? Sure. Yeah. I think it's regret. Is yeah. All the characters are regretful of things that they've done, um, and they're living in various stages of dealing with the regret and the various ways to deal with the uh, depression that it can bring about and sort of living with past problems. Is that scene where Picard sits around just thinking about all the girls he could have talked to? That's right. That's right. You, uh, I did. You miss sorry. all the shots you don't take, as Wayne Gretzky yeah, said. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did also like... Um, just as a small tangent, uh, the um, when they first get to the planet and uh, Kestra pulls the bow and arrow on them, mm-hmm. he says, "You should probably aim for my head because my heart's made out of titanium or whatever." Yep, yep, that was good. I like that. <laughs> Nifty little callbacks. I even buy Riker as a pizza chef in the in fifteen years yeah. later. I, I believe I'm, that. is that why is that why Riker is so Frakes is so good at playing Riker still is because over the years Riker just turned into Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> I think so. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, I was disappointed that he didn't climb over the back of his seat to sit down. At the I know he's probably though. he doesn't have the limber uh, limber legs anymore. I don't think to get that done, it would probably be an embarrassment of knocking over, kicking over the chair or something. <laughs> I 
I like this episode. I, I don't know if this one like saves the series or anything like that, but I do think it firmly puts you in a good place as to understand at least why Picard got to this point. It's good to see those old cast members. I think that the Borg what what's funny about the what what's funny about the Borg cube is that I like the setting of the cube, but it seems like any story that enters the cube becomes stupid for some reason. Yeah. And which is unfortunate because I really like the setting, but like that they're, they're never it just seems like we're never going to, from this series, get a good sense of how everything exists in this universe. And I think I'm starting to let go of that on some level. Like, I I, I sort of doubt, I sort of wonder how involved the Borg are ever going to be for the rest of this season. Like, I mm. could see them not really being involved in some way. And that would be very shocking and surprising and upsetting, but I could, could see it happening. So, I don't know. I, I like this episode. I thought it was good. I thought that it had very good highs, it had very low lows, but it at least kept me entertained in a way that some of the other episodes have not managed to do. I do what I do find interesting about how they've chosen to structure this and the information they've chosen to give us is like coming into this series I feel like the number one thing that a lot of people I know I was was interested to see was going to be, okay, what's the new world look like? What's the status of the Federation? What's Starfleet into? What's the X, Y, and Z? And then it, We were pitched on you, that. They told us yeah. that's what the show was going to be about. And then when you get there, it's like, yeah, Picard's been sitting in a chair for 14 years, and uh, uh, Seven of Nine is now some weird like bounty hunter. And aside from that- <laughs> You're and, not going to uh, see Riker a and Troy have a Yeah, Riker and Troy have a dead kid. And aside <laughs> from that, it's just like, yeah, you know, the world's the world. Yeah. I'll go you know, that's with- why that's I think that's why the Borg Cube thing bothers me so much. It's because it's like this is the sort of of all the backstory that we've gotten in this series, a lot of it is stuff we haven't gotten, and I would love to know, because I feel like it's going to make your story stronger, but they just don't give it to you. Before we go, I'd like to clarify um one thing, I had a couple of tweets that were just explaining like why I'm disappointed that there are no starships in this series. And it mm-hmm. goes it goes beyond the fact that as like a fan, you like to see the starships and you like to see the designs and everything. I think there's actually a problem with this series not showing us any of the starships. And so briefly, this is it. So the, to respond to people who are like, oh, it's just, just belly aching. Like this is a new Star Trek where you don't need to see starships. Um the thing about the starships is that when you say the words Starfleet or Federation, they're like the first or second thing that pops into your mind, right? When you sure. think of Star Trek, you think of the, the starships. You think of the ships that are flying around. And when you when you see those things in the TV show, they become an avatar for the Federation. Like they represent the Starfleet and the Federation and things like that. Right. And in a series where we're repeatedly told that Starfleet and the Federation are not the same, if you don't see the avatar for that institution, you don't have any sense of what that means. So right. the ships need to be heavily involved because when you see the ships and you see what the ships are doing, because the ships are the things that are carrying out the actions of what these institutions are supposed to believe in. In the original series in TNG and DS9, when you saw them, the ships were doing Starfleet missions. They were doing things that represented the values, whether it was good or bad. If it was bad, it was breaking with the norms. If it was good, it was going with the norms. This series, 
while it's complaining about the way that the Federation has fallen apart and everyone is lamenting the fact that things aren't what they used to be, you never see the institution. You never see the institution acting or doing anything. So you have no idea what they're complaining about. And I think it's really doing a lot of damage to the themes that they're trying to get across here, which is that institutional failure can be overcome by people, seems to be one of the themes. And it's just... You're just not getting exposed to that. And it's not good enough to just take the word of what Picard says. You have to see what Starfleet is up to, and they're not doing it. And it goes beyond just being a fan wanting to see ships. It's That's that's the best way to convey that idea, I think. Yeah, like imagine if they flew into uh, uh, Elnor's planet, and instead of it being surrounded by the, the, the air shield from Spaceballs, you've got uh, a Starf- uh, Starfleet ship there. That is placed there from a military standpoint, and they'll shoot down anybody who wants to fly in without, you know what I mean, like something yep. like that, where it's like, well, this isn't what Starfleet does, right? Why yep. is, you know, th- that's that's an instant indication of how things have changed, and you know how the Starfleet might not be doing the things that they are generally supposed to, be, quote unquote, supposed to be doing, and it gives you it gives you a better idea of what the status of this world is instead of just talking about it, right. Yeah, I guess I mean you know Starfleet. We've seen two Starfleet members that have like lines, minus the guy who doesn't know who, who Picard is. But like yeah, the, Clan- Clancy and O is that who you're talking yeah, about? We've seen two characters, Clancy and O, who have lines, and it's just like that's not really doing it for me as far as what Starfleet and the Federation standing is in this story. Right. Yeah. No, I'd agree, and I and you I, could argue you could argue that it doesn't matter that it's not. I mean, it's, this this isn't a story about Starfleet or the Federation, but it kind of is. It involves it involves the uh, the failure to save Romulus from exploding, yes, uh, and all of this other stuff that is very much Federation and very much Starfleet problems. So it feels like they should be addressed. They should be part of the story. No, you could you could certainly tell the Picard story without getting that. But the whole reason that the story kicked off is because of the Starfleet's reaction to these things. So right. Picard going out on this mission, going against the current norms of Starfleet, is seen as the the odd thing to do. But we're just not getting a sense of why that would be an odd thing, and it's 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 unfortunate. And I think that it it was necessary to get that involvement if you're going to start the story off this way. Yeah, I think so. All right, that's it. Cool. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. Patreon.com/slash/thepenskyfile if you want to support the show. Otherwise, there's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all down below. Check out all the other episodes of this podcast because there's more than 300, so the RSS feed doesn't have them all on your podcast app. You can go to thepenskypodcast.com if you want to find old episodes. And then um, I think that's pretty much it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I don't think so. Check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show. It's the horror podcast that uh, Amanda and I are doing. We just put out A Quiet Place, which is uh, we're doing movies off of uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 200 greatest horror movies of all time. Quiet Place is number four. Mm-hmm. Which, Very high. Uh, I have, yeah, we both have some thoughts about, so. I listened to you guys talking about it. I honestly didn't remember the ending, and you guys had a little. You were talking about it for about five minutes before you described what the ending was to me, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what is the ending? How does it end?" I, I really couldn't remember that it ends the uh, the way that it does. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. I think that's pretty much it. So yeah. So check out Rotten Horror, patreon.com slash Lipinski file. I think we're done. We're going to be back with the next episode, which is called Broken Pieces, I believe, is the eighth episode of this show. Yes, Broken Pieces. So 
We'll see how that goes. Um, anything else? No. Here, I'll give you a um, on our scale on our on our scale of like one to five, Clay. Where would you put this series currently as it stands? The series. Do you think um, this series is better than Discovery oh, at this point, or is it worse oh, than Discovery? Well, you know, I was thinking. I've said previously that I I feel like I at this point enjoy discovery more than I do Picard because discovery is like consistent in its kind of shittiness. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, I know what discovery is and it's its own thing. And I know the quality level and I know what they do over there. But this one is like bringing in my friends into that. <laughs> and it's, and it's really bothering me. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about it as we were talking. And what I was actually going to ask you is, because, uh, you know, we were talking about the quality of this episode and how it's so much better and how great it is to see Riker and Troy, et cetera. Um, and the question I thought of was, do you see yourself ever watching this series again? No. Yeah, I can't. I don't. I don't. Unless they unless they unless the last three episodes totally make us look like idiots. Yes. And yeah. be like, oh, the master plan finally unra- unraveled and we see the master. P- I. There's nothing episode to episode that makes me want to go back and watch this again, except maybe this one. And that's based entirely on Riker and Troy. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I would most compare these shows. If you wanted to compare these shows to a very modern drama, I know people say Walking Dead and things like that, but I can't really compare it to Walking Dead because I'm not too familiar with that show. It's terrible. I would say that the closest analog of shows that I know is that these shows are Breaking Bad. And that that sounds worse on Breaking Bad than it actually is. Breaking Bad is like the best case scenario for these kinds of shows, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like really smartly written, and it keeps you on the edge of the seat. And um, it's driven in a way that the actions of the episode keep you wanting to turn the page, and you want to see the next episode. So that the writing is built on this fact that we're going to constantly give you little cliffhangers the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Breaking Bad pays off those cliffhangers very effectively and very satisfying like you feel very good when you come up with a solution in breaking bad even even when they're completely insane like that season that ends with uh (laughs) with q accidentally crashing two planes right that's probably the most egregious example of when the show was satisfying it was completely insane but it was still satisfying and these are kind of the same and i'd say that i similarly have never rewatched breaking bad Mm. because i know i I know i know a few people that have watched it multiple times yeah i that just doesn't sit well that 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 doesn't it's not the kind of show that i would really want to and i think that even though it's a better version of this i just think that the big problem here besides the fact that it kind of copies that style of writing is that it also is completely devoid of the character work that breaking bad had in it so if you don't have that kind of like interesting character work the plot itself is not enough to keep me coming back sure it's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I you know, it's um it's going to be interesting going forward cuz I know they're coming back for a second season and it's I I I, I don't know. It's like I, I unless they give you something like really solid to lean into as a cliffhanger into the second season like why the hell would Picard leave Earth again? Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. We will see you later.